Tonight we'll be in the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And uh, I'll be reading from verse 13 down to verse 17, even though our focus tonight will be on verses 16 and 17. But for continuity, I'll be reading from verse 13 down to the end of James chapter 4. The Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for your goodness towards us. You truly are an awesome God. You bless us and shower us with gifts and favor. Oftentimes when we didn't even really truly deserve it, but because of your grace and mercy and your love towards us. Dear Lord, we're humbled by your goodness. And I thank you once again for your precious word. Thank you for how you use it to keep us on the right path. And I pray tonight as your word goes forth that you would use it to magnify yourself. Give us wisdom and direction and understanding about your will for our lives. And I pray that you would speak to each heart in a very special way. Cleanse me of sin and to me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Without your help, without your blessing, I cannot do what you've called me to do. And I pray that you would guide and give wisdom and understanding, clarity. And I pray that there's some lost soul here tonight, under the sound of my voice, that that one would come to know the joys of sin forgiven. And every believer would be challenged to be closer drawn to you. Take full control of your divine way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. One of the things that is common to children, no matter where you find them, no matter their background, their upbringing, you would find consistently in children a love and a desire to play. Children of every generation, I believe, have played games. Most recently, the playing is normally of the indoor variety and has transitioned to the solo version of playing as opposed to the outdoor and more group games that those of us who are older were accustomed to and we thoroughly enjoyed. One of the games that I've overheard and observed my children playing is what's called opposite day. It is where it is understood that everything that you say has the opposite meaning. And the statements made or the instructions given in having the opposite meaning when they are given creates much laughter and humor and fun. And as I thought of this matter of spirituality that we are dealing with and addressing in the book of James, specifically chapter 4, I thought of the fact that 
so much of what is done in demonstrating true spirituality is the opposite of what is natural and instinctive in our human flesh. And what is done in the flesh has the opposite effect of what is normally intended. James points this out in these opposing desires and effects. I want to draw your attention to verse number 2, and you'll probably have a little better understanding of, of what I'm sharing here tonight. Now, look at verse number 1, just for continuity, where he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? But look at verse number 2 and 3. He says, Ye lust, and what? Have not. Meaning you're craving after something. You want it badly. And at the end of the day, the opposite happens. You don't have it. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. See the opposite effect happening there. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Verse number three. Ye ask and receive not, because he ask amiss that he may consume it upon your lust. Here we have at play a number of desires and motives. And as much as the individual is, is trying, the opposite effect is taking place. But look at when we consider the matter of spirituality which is what we have been addressing here all throughout this chapter for the last several weeks and months. Spirituality says, lift up, if you lift up yourself, God brings you down. Look at verse number six. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said, God does what? Resisteth the proud. But giveth grace unto the humble. So, so here you have an effort to lift yourself up. God says, I'm going to have the opposite effect. I'm going to bring you down. But if you bring yourself low, God does what? Lifts you up. Verse number 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God. Look at verse number 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will what? Lift you up. Seems like it's opposite day in James chapter 4. Verse number 8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. I wonder if you see the opposite there. When you draw closer to God, he moves in the opposite direction that you are moving and gets closer to you. Verse number nine, you want joy? What do you ought to do? Mourn. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. We have seen and addressed this verse that he's talking about your response to sin. Mourn about sin. Be upset. Be devastated about the condition of your soul. And your actions and your attitude. And guess what? God will turn that mourning into joy. 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 10. Paul speaking says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Look at the opposite play here. For when I am weak, then am I what? Strong. You see, my friends, when it comes to living a, a life that's pleasing to God, mark it down, we cannot live based on human instinct. We must live in the power of the Holy Spirit so that he can work through us. And the more thus we yield ourselves to him in submission, the stronger we become. We've observed in James chapter 4 the devastating problem of sin in verses 1 to 4. We saw the divine push in verse number 5. We saw the definite prescription in verses 7 down to verse number 10. And we saw a direct prohibition in verses 11 and 12 relating to the matter of judging. And we've observed as well a desirable perspective in verses 14 15 as it relates to this matter of life, the brevity of it. But tonight I want us to close out this chapter 4 by looking at verse number 16 and 17 in verse number 16 I want us to you can jot this down, recognize and observe a dangerous practice and verse number 17 we'll look and observe there a distinctive principle but look at verse number 16 he says but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Now this is a verse that obviously is continuing uh, the thought uh, that's all throughout this chapter 4. James is admonishing his people to, to, to function in a way that honors God. Uh, to, to be spiritual, which means to respond not in human instinct, but in the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he points out this dangerous practice in verse number 16 where he says, uh, here's a problem that, 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 that is evident. After all that has been said, he's describing the current state and he says this dangerous practice is characterized by being full of pride. Full of pride. He says, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. In other words, you are lifted up in pride. You boast. Here's what boasting and a boastful attitude is ultimately saying, even if the words are not spoken. I am hot stuff. I'm, I'm something special. Look at what I've done. And in doing so, one lifts oneself Well, here's what Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 2 says about this matter of boasting. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger and not thine own lips. Aren't we guilty of sometimes doing our own self-promotion? Do you know, I, you know, I, I am just good at this. Man, you should hear me do that. 
You should watch me get my I, I just got the best this and maybe we do. But the Bible says we ought to let another man praise. You see, this matter of pride is something that hinders God's working in our lives. And even more directly and pointedly, God hates pride. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 says to 17. says, these six things does the Lord hate no, if God hates some stuff, we really got to pay attention to this list. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first thing he mentions is a proud look. That tells me that God takes this matter of pride very seriously. And here's what I've observed and noticed about pride. And listen, if you're going to observe pride, guess what? Which we often fail to do. You've got to be able to recognize it and observe it in yourself. We like to look out. He's proudful and he's full of pride. But we don't know how to often detect pride in our own selves. But we all struggle with this issue of pride. And here's how sometimes we don't detect it. And here's what we need to do to help ourselves detect it. Pride is raising its ugly head in our lives whenever we make a decision to put ourselves in the center. Oftentimes, we don't recognize when we are. But when it is, it's an evidence of the issue of pride. And I think it's quite ironic that the letter that's quite that exactly and precisely in the middle of the word pride is the letter I. You see, here's what pride is and how pride manifests itself. Pride manifests itself when we make things about us. It's about me. Look at how this shows up in this entire chapter. I want you to draw your attention. We've looked at these verses, but as I studied for this, and I looked at verse 16 and 17, you have to recognize 16 and 17 in the context of the entire chapter. Now, look at verses 1 to 5, and we just look at it in a different context, but I want to draw your attention again to the words there. Look at verses 1 to 5, and look at how many times, of course, in the Old English and in the King James Bible, you see the word ye. Over and over. Ye lost in verse number two. Ye kill. Yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that he may consume it on your loss. How many times he's pointing out to the individual. Why? Because what's happening? It's about you, 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 you. You're at the center. But look at the contrast in verses 7 down to verse number 10. In those verses, the individual is not at the center. It says, submit yourselves therefore to what? To God. When you submit yourself to God, you are now removing yourself from the center and God is now at the center. Resist the devil and he will flee. 
Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. All of these are things that are completely opposite of the context in verses 2 and 3 and 4. It's now removing oneself from the center. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your heart, ye double-minded. It's now not about me. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Verse number 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Look at the contrast. In verses 1 to 4, it's all, it's all about me. All about self. Verses 7 to 10. I got to remove myself from the center. Now look at verses 11 and 12. Not only is the individual in these verses, and the context, you see where one is at the center. Now, now one is not only at the center, but now has now elevated oneself to the top. Because it talks about the matter of judging. And in these verses, the individual is so much at the center that they now have elevated themselves above to look down on other people. But look at verse 14 and 15. It gives a different perspective. You ought now to rather not be on top in the center looking down, but you ought to be low looking up. Look at verse number 15. It says, for that ye ought to say what? If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. What is that? A mindset. I'm not in the center. God, you are at the center. You are in control. You are in charge. I'm so far removed from the center, but not only am I out of the center, I am low looking up to you. What a contrast to having a prideful attitude. This dangerous practice is one where an individual is full of pride. But back to verse number 16, notice the fleshly pleasure. He says, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. I mean, it's getting worse. Not only is the individual full of pride, but they're rejoicing in being at the center. This, this, this boasting gives fleshly pleasure, gives gratification. And you have to ask yourself, why is there gratification for something that seems so destructive? Here's why the flesh is always going to be gratified in pride. Because the flesh wants to be at the center. So when flesh and self gets to the center, guess what? He feels, I'm where I want to be. I'm right at home. That is why when pride is the driving force, get this, the individual always thinks they are right. Because self wants to be at the center. And when self gets there, self is justified because that where self is comfortable and wants to be all along. That is why pride is so destructive. Because oftentimes pride is excused. Pride seems justified because when an individual functions with self at the center, self just is comfortable right there. Self, that's where self feels at home. That is why uh, an individual can rejoice in their boastings. Why? The flesh is being satisfied. It's fleshly pleasure. But notice in verse number 16, 
The danger of all this is that it's based on a false premise. The Bible says all such rejoicing is what? Evil. You know why it is evil? Because whenever self is at the center, God is not. God does not occupy the center when self is there. As a matter of fact, God does not occupy the center when anything else is there. Only one person, one thing, can occupy this spot. The false premise is that I am in charge, I am in control, when the truth is we are not. Refer once again to verses 12 down to verse number 15. You see, my friend, we simply don't qualify to be at the center. We don't qualify. Why? We don't know everything. No matter how much we think. I mean, you ever hear somebody recalling a story that they heard ironically from somebody else and they're speaking like, man, I just got all the facts. Listen, you don't. We don't know everything. In addition, we don't control everything. But guess what? God does. And that qualifies him to be at the center, not us. That's why pride is so dangerous. It's based on a false premise that I can make this determination. I can figure this out. I know all the facts. I know all the motives. And it becomes with everything swirling around self. James says this is a dangerous practice. But in closing, notice very briefly and finally, there's a distinctive principle given in verse number 17. He says, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Notice here, and this verse really puts a, a bow, if you will, on this matter of true spirituality from a biblical standpoint. True spirituality. You want to say or determine and make an assessment on your level of spirituality? It has, first of all, to do with simply two things. Awareness. Awareness. What do I mean by that? Spirituality is, first of all, what are you aware of when it comes to the truth? How much of the word do you hear? What has God exposed to you by way of what you ought to be doing? How much of it is clear? How much of it do you understand? What is your level of awareness of what God is saying to you? What God has said through his word? Notice he says, to him that what? Knoweth to do good. So spirituality and your level of spirituality is first of all based on your awareness. But the second thing that it's based on is when you have awareness, you then have attached to that awareness accountability. You see, my friends, after you are made aware, the real measure of your spirituality is what then do you do about what you have heard? 
That's the measure. It's not about how much church you attend. It's not even about how much Bible you read. But we are held accountable for the truth that we have been exposed to. Listen to what Luke chapter 12 and verse 48 says. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. But unto whom men have committed much of him will they ask the more. You see, a baby Christian can demonstrate greater, a greater level of spirituality than a person saved for 50 years. Why? Because of their response to the word of God. That's it. You can have an individual who was saved a week ago, but as that individual becomes aware of things that they probably were not privy to or never been exposed to, but because of a spiritual desire to serve the Lord, that individual says, oh, God says that, I'm going to do that. That is spirituality. Where you can have an individual saved for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and the word is like water off a duck's back. No effect, no response. That's a lack of spirituality. So James says, when it comes to this thing that characterizes our Christian life, we're going to have this flesh that wants to be in the center, wants to have the preeminence, wants to have control. But when it tries to get there, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, this is not your place. This is not your space. Here's the contrasting response. And as he shows throughout that chapter, it is not instinctive. It is not natural. Why? Because there's a continual battle at play between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. And the true measure of spirituality is which one are you going to give control? Which one are you going to let occupy the center? If you function on instinct, more than likely, the flesh is having his way. But when it comes to the leading of the Holy Spirit, you function in a way that is not consistent with the flesh. But it requires a level of spirituality that says, I'm going to be sensitive to what God is saying. I'm going to humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I'm going to submit to his leading. And when I do, God, as it were, causes what would seem to be an opposite effect in my life to bring about the results that we desire from the very beginning. This matter of spirituality, so very important for the growth, and the development, and the overall success and joy of a believer. I trust that God will use his word in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us wisdom in the decisions that we make. Don't just do what's natural. But to do what's natural is associated with the flesh. 
Bible talks about the natural man. The natural man does not receive the things of the word of God. May God help us to function in a way that is consistent and in accordance with the Holy Spirit of God.